Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. If you don't know where that is, it's right at the end of your Bible. So it's easy to find, right near the end. What a joy to be with you. What a joy to see you gathered to worship our Lord today. Uh, it's a special joy for me to be with Aubrey, my beloved friend and his family. What, how wonderful to see his ministry there and the ministry of this church. God has blessed you in so many remarkable ways, and I'm very thankful for that. It, it brings me great joy to, uh, to be here. Well, we'll read that passage in a minute, but let's pray again and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we pray that you'd help us now as we look at your word. We pray you'd come by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Joe Olstein wrote a book. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. The, what's the problem with that book? The word now. The word now is the problem. If we're Christ, we've sung about this today, right? We, we will enjoy our best life, but our best life isn't now. But, but then, right? And, and what's the then? The then is the return of Christ. Uh, did, did you know when we sang, you, you, you probably know this, you're a well-instructed congregation, but when we sang Joy to the World, that is not a song about the incarnation, but about the second coming, you know? Read, read, that, read that hymn again sometime if you didn't know that. He, he, it's fine to apply to Christmas. I'm, that's great, right? But it's actually a uh, he wrote that uh, song, Joy to the World, about when Jesus comes again. All of us, let me, let me go back. All of us, even if we don't admit it, we want heaven on earth now. I thought of that in reading a, a novel, maybe some of you have read this, by Wallace Stegner. And the name of the novel is Big Rock, Big Rock Candy Mountain. The, the Candy Mountain stands for heaven, right? That, that sounds like heaven, a mountain full of candy doesn't it? This, this, this novel is set in the late 19th, early 20th, 20th century in the western part of the United States. And uh, one of the main characters, Elsa, she, she leaves home at 18. She marries Bo. Uh, Bo, Bo runs a place where, where alcohol is sold. That's his job. So her parents, they don't approve of Bo. And they don't they don't approve of his lifestyle, but, but Elsa sees in Bowl the promise of happiness she's, she's never had. Bo, Bo, is, Bo is confident. Bo is uh, he's athletic. He has, a, he has a powerful and a winning uh, personality. He has he had huge dreams. He's always telling Elsa about his huge dreams, how, how he's going to be so uh, blessed financially. But, but his business life, it's a failure. And he gets involved in schemes that are really illegal and contrary to the law. And, and El Elsa's dreams, they don't, they don't become a reality. You know, that's the story of a, a lot of people. The dreams they have for life, maybe that's your story today. The dreams you had for life, they don't, they don't become a reality. Because we want, we want, and I think God's put this in our hearts, right? But we want... We want heaven on earth now. We, we, want, we want that perfect church. Close, right? Good church. But w w there's no perfect church. We, we want that perfect marriage, right? We, 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 want, we want the perfect 
We want the perfect kids. We, we want, if, as kids, we want perfect parents. And, and we, we, want that, we want that perfect job. And, and we want perfect health. But the book of Revelation reminds us that that's not now, right? God's good to us now. That's not now, but that's, that's then. It's, it's not our best life now. Actually, in the book of Revelation, the believers are suffering, aren't they? They're being persecuted for their faith. They're, they're being persecuted by, by the state, by, by the government, by, by local authorities. Yeah, some, some were even being put to death by, by, by Rome. And, you know, we can think today about the opposition we have from, from big tech, from universities, and from the media. But the Lord promises in a world filled with suffering, yeah, blessings too, but He promises in a world of discouragement and persecution that a new world is coming. So let's read this. It's a little bit of a long passage, so take out your Bibles if you have one and read with me. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 through chapter 22, verse 5. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe, every, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, 
And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever." So I want to bring out two themes out of this amazing passage, and uh, the first theme is we, we see a renewed, in these, in these chapters, these verses, we see a renewed creation, and then secondly, we see, this, they, they go together, we see a heavenly city and a beautiful bride. That's my second point together. We see a heavenly city and a beautiful bride. When we read Revelation, we, we need to remember that this is, this is this very symbolic book. There, there, there's a lot of images, and these images are interrelated, and they even overlap. In other words, this passage is deeply symbolic. You know what C.S. Lewis said about this passage? A little bit snarky, maybe, but I thought it was true. He says, if anybody doesn't know this is symbolism, they don't know how to read literature. And I think that's true, because John's trying to describe heaven the new creation that's coming. He's trying to describe the indescribable. It's like trying to describe to someone else your experience when you listen to a beautiful piece of music. So let's look at this new creation. We're promised a new heavens and a new earth. We see that in the first 
verse, right? I saw, what did he see? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's this world, right? The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And the Lord says in chapter 21, verse 5, I'm making all things new. And we read Isaiah 65, verse 17 earlier today, which says, John's picking up on this, Isaiah text, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things, that's this world, right, shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. That's the new heaven and the new earth is a new Jerusalem, right? We'll see that more. I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. So we're promised a new creation is coming, right? A new universe, a new heavens and earth is coming. What, what will that new creation be like? Will, will, God, will God destroy this world? Will He annihilate it and make a whole new world? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's what John is saying. I think, I think what John is saying is that God is going to take this world and He's going to purify it and transform it. So where will heaven be? I think it'll be on earth. It's going to be a renewed world. It's, it's a physical place. We're going to have, we're going to have resurrection bodies. So it's, we're, not, we're not going to be floating on clouds, right, playing harps. We're going to be in a new, a new creation that's coming. It's going to be a transformed world. I mean, this world is beautiful, isn't it? But that world's going to be even more beautiful. Well, you know, if we read this text about this new creation, there are a lot of no mores in this text, no mores. And, and, and the first one is no more sea. Chapter 21, verse 1. Well, will there really not be any more sea? I'd, I'd love, maybe you do too, I'd love the beauty of water. But, but, but this is symbolic. The sea, the sea symbolizes chaos. The, it, it's, it, it points back to the flood, right? The, the, the surging sea of the flood that destroys the world or the chaos of the waters in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. So I don't think John is saying that there literally won't be a sea. No, 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 the idea is no more, no more hurricanes, no, no, more, no, no more tornadoes, no more, no, no, no more tsunamis, no more, no more floods, no more earthquakes. Yeah, I, I don't know, this is a beautiful place, but I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii. I've been there several times. But I kind of picture the new creation is Hawaii every day at 75, 80 degrees, beautiful breeze blowing, not too humid. And uh, the, the, that is what we're looking forward to, something like that, something even greater than that. So no more sea. What's the other one? No more pain. No more pain. Verse, verse 4, right? He will wipe away every tear. That's what's coming. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. I mean, maybe you're not experiencing any grief right now today, uh, but you have, or if you haven't, you, you will. It, it comes. Every tear, every pain will be removed by him. He, he wipes it away as our, as our loving God. I mean, one thing I love and I think parents, you can identify with this. One thing I love about being a parent and now a grandparent is 
You know, when, when our kids were in pain, I loved to comfort them. I loved, I loved to wipe away the tears from their eyes. It, 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 it's, a, it's a beautiful moment as a parent, and, and our God will wipe away our tears, won't he? And life, life is full of tears, tears of disappointment and grief and sadness. You know, perhaps, for some of you, perhaps you're at a place right now, maybe even if other people don't know it, where you break down crying when you're by yourself, often. There, there's, there's a wrenching pain. I'm sure some of you have faced this of an unfaithful husband or an unfaithful wife or, or there are tears that flow from a son or a daughter that's ruining their life. You know, parents tell me stories and they don't even cry in front of their kids, but they're so, so grieved as they see their kids making terrible decision. Or, or there comes, there's a pain that comes if there's a mom or dad that's not there for you. Something, something's wrong there. Or, 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 or there's a grief, there's a grief, there's a pain, it's a little different pain, but there's a grief and pain that comes if you, if you feel like you're not being respected or, or honored. Or, or there are tears that come from, from physical pain, right? Or an injury or disease that persists and persists and persists. Or, or there can be a great disappointment. If, if you're single and you, want, and you want to be married, and uh, not, not everybody who's single feels like they have the gift of singleness, right? And you want to be married, but it's not happening, or, or, the, or the pain of not being able to have children. But the greatest pain, surely, is death itself. David David speaks of the horror of death. He says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove to fly away. Do you ever feel that way? If I could just get away from this life. And David's speaking of death drawing near and the difficulties of life. And he says, I just want to get away. I want to get away from it all. Because death severs us, right, coldly and mercilessly from those we love. When a death comes, no more mom. Never again in this life do you talk to your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife or your sister. And it, it can happen in a second, right? It can happen so fast or it can happen in a slow and painful way. You know, I almost lost my wife in 2012. She had a terrible, terrible accident. Pra praise God. She's recovered. She's doing well. It was, it was a pretty long road. But I'll never forget that first night I went home and I walked into my bedroom and she wasn't there. And there was such a desolate feeling that washed over me. And, and, and God was good to me, restored her. But there was a desolate feeling of, yeah, I may never see her in this room again. So it seems like death is the final reality, the ultimate reality. But what is, what is John telling us here? The final reality, the final story in our lives, it's not sorrow, it's not pain, but it's joy everlasting. The final word, no matter what you feel today, right? If you're a believer, the final word isn't death, but life. As, as Hebrews says, as believers, we're freed from the fear of death that enslaves 
us all our lives. That fear is no longer ours because as death draws near, we have an objective ground for hope. There'll be new life. There'll be resurrection. Paul, Paul prays this. I hope this is your prayer today in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, this is my prayer for all of you, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're given this word, aren't we? So we'll be abound in hope. We'll be full of hope. So no more pain and, and, that, and no, more, no more loss. No more loss. Ver verses 21, 24, and 26. What, what does he say there? He says, by, by the light of the new Jerusalem, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Verse 26, they will bring into, into it the glory and the honor of, of the nations. What, what, is, what is symbolized here? I, I, think, I, think, I think John is saying everything good, everything beautiful in this world will be in the world to come. And, and it's going to be even better. Everything you treasure in this life, have you thought of this? Am I going to miss something from this life? But everything you treasure in this life will be there in a higher and a better form. There's no marriage, right? Jesus tells us that. And I've met people who say, there's got to be marriage. I've got to be married to my spouse. But you know, it's going to be something better. Even if that, even that, that's hard to imagine, right? Everything you love in this age... Everything that's good will be there, but 10,000 times with 10,000 more beauty, trees, flowers, oceans, mountains, rivers. My, my daughter, when she was very young, she's all grown up now, but we had a dog named Scamper, and she was, I don't know how old she was, five, six, and she said to me one day, Dad, will Scamper be in heaven? And I said, Anna? Do you need Scamper to be in heaven, to be happy in heaven? She said, yes, Dad, I need him. I need him in heaven. And then I said, because I was talking to a five or six-year-old, I said, then he'll be there. Then he'll be there. Yes, I was speaking apocalyptically. <laughs> right? I think what I said was true. All the beauty of human craftsmanship, from music, from poetry, to art, and architecture. It'll all be there, but it'll be escalated. We're not going to lose anything, right? We're going to gain. We're going to gain even more. And there'll be no more night. Did you see that? Chapter 22, verse 5. This is one of my favorite little sayings in the Bible. There'll be no night there. There'll be no night there. You know, we're told in John's gospel, right, Jesus' last night on earth, right, with his, with his disciples, Judas went out, and do you, do you remember what John says in John 13? He says, and it was night. It was night. He, John's not just saying it was dark out. He's saying, Judas went out to betray Jesus, and it's the darkest night in human history. It's a night of great evil. But there'll be no night there. No murders in the dark. No stabbings in the back, literally or metaphorically. No, no robberies, no adulteries, no, no abuse, no wars, no, no, no corruption, no more, no more fighting, 
over politics, or even over theology. It'll be all over. No more, no more Vladimir Putin, right? With his corruption and assassination of his own people and rivals. No more Xi Jinping who persecutes Christians and is killing. They're not Christians, but he's killing and persecuting. You can read about it, the Uyghurs, um, a Muslim people group, and treating them in horrific, horrific ways. No more discrimination against and spilling of the blood of the saints by the beast and his henchmen. So no more loss, no more, no more pain, no more night, no more disease. No more disease, no more death, no more curse. We read in chapter 22, the tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. You know, John takes us back to the early chapters in Genesis, and what happens when there's sin, the, the, the God, God curses the world and human beings for their sin. Adam and Eve brought that curse into the world, and that curse is also upon us as sinners as we come into the world. But here, John talks about the tree of life, which we also read about today in Ezekiel 47. I can, you know, one of the things I loved about your service today, man, everything was planned very well, wasn't it? That was, that was a blessing to me to see you do that. The scripture readings and the songs all matched so beautifully and wonderfully. So the tree of life, but it's you know, maybe you disagree with me. It's fine. It's okay. At the end of the day, it's going to be good, right? I don't think there's a literal tree there. But I think it's a symbol. People don't get sick in the new creation. You know, he says the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. But that's a symbol, right? Because in the new creation, you don't get sick. You don't need to be healed anymore. You don't need to go to the tree and say, you know, today I'm in the new creation. And I'm sick today. No more sickness, right? But it's a picture of, of healing, the removal of the curse of sin and death. You know, sin, sin is like a disease. Well, what do diseases do? They, they twist, they distort, and they maim, and, and, and finally a disease can kill us. Of course, when we think of sin, the, the analogy of disease is a very imperfect analogy, isn't it? Because a disease is something that comes outside of us and destroys us, but the disease of sin is in us, Right? We ourselves are sinners. We ourselves have chosen to sin. sin. Sin is what we are apart from Christ. In other words, the disease of sin is self-inflicted, isn't it? But, but Jesus Christ died on a tree so that as sinners we can partake of the tree of life. If you're not a Christian today, right, you can... You, can, you, you are cursed by sin, your own sin, the sin you've chosen. But Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, came and lived the perfect life, and he died on a tree and was raised from the dead, and he offers forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe in him. So there is now the death of death in the death of Christ. And if, and if you drink of the water of life, that is offered to you, that's offered to you freely, you can enjoy new life. And you will be in this new creation, and you will eat of this tree of life, so to speak, forever 
and ever. So that's our, new, our first point. It's a, a renewed, a new creation, and there's no more of that which makes life difficult. But secondly, the new creation is, is a heavenly city and a beautiful bride. The, the two are together. It's a, it's a heavenly city. It's a beautiful bride. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a new creation. It's, it's, it's God's new temple. We see that in chapter 21 right away, don't we? In verse 2, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem. So there it is. It's the holy city, a new Jerusalem. So what I'm saying is this is the whole universe. This is the new creation. The whole universe is a city, right? It's a picture. The whole universe is a city. It's the new Jerusalem coming down of, out of heaven from God, and it's like a bride adorned for her husband. So you, you, see, you see both, right? It's a, it's a heavenly city, but it's also a heavenly bride. And we see this again in chapter 21, verse 9. The angel says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. We don't have time to read the rest, but then he shows him the city. Did you see that? So the new creation relates, it's, it's both people and a place. You know, what is John telling us? The, the new Jerusalem is but the, new, the new world we're going to be in. This world, it's all described as a new Jerusalem. It's all God's new temple, so to speak. We'll see that as we go. Well, well what, do we, what, do you, what do we see about the city? First, the city is unified. The people of God are unified and together. So we see in verses 12 through 14 that the, that the 12 tribes of Israel, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are inscribed on, on the gates of the city. And the 12 apostles of the Lamb are in the foundation of the city. And I think John's telling us the people of God are one people, united. Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we would be one is answered. You know, we, 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 and I know this is so true of this church, and it's so good. You, we want to be, we want to be people who are doctrinally uh, aware and sensitive and faithful, right? But also, that we never forget that it's very important, isn't it, that we should pursue unity. Paul tells us that, doesn't he? Preserve the unity of the Spirit, and that, and that is something God calls each one of you in this body to do, to preserve unity with one another, to, to, not, to not divide from one another. It's so, so easy to start speaking against others, right? Start criticizing others and to bring disunity into the body. But God, God wants us to pursue love and unity with one another, and that's coming in all its perfection. But the greatest thing about this city, no surprise, is God himself, right? God's presence. Have you ever experienced the excitement of going to a large city for the first time? So I will never forget. I grew up in Oregon, which is a small state in the Northwest. And basically, my dad was a nurseryman, and we never went anywhere because he had 100 acres, and we worked on that ground, and my dad... My dad, I think he was afraid somebody would steal the dirt, you know, because we never went anywhere. But I, when, in my 20s, for the first time, I went to San Francisco, and I came, I came across that Bay Bridge, uh, uh, and, and it was a beautiful, clear day. 
And I was just stunned. This city is so beautiful and lovely. And you know, I had the same experience. I didn't, I didn't go to New York until, I think I was in my 40s, went to Manhattan. And again, I was just amazed. What, what a city. How, how, how beautiful. There's no perfect earthly city. And then, you know, I thought Manhattan was big. And then I visited Sao Paulo, 26, 30 million. And I was how, how can there be so many skyscrapers in a city? It's just astonishing. Now, cities, cities can be, they can be, right? They can be enchanting. They can be thrilling. They can be exciting. And they can be delightful. What makes this city so exciting? God, right? God's presence. The, God's throne is in the city, we see in chapter 22, verse 3, right? And the, and the Lamb is in the city. That's what makes the city so exciting. And His servants, what will we do in the city? We'll, we'll worship Him. We'll worship Him. We'll enjoy Him. I mean, what, what's the new creation fundamentally about? It's not about things, right? It's not about how beautiful the city is. It is beautiful, the new creation, right? But it's about, about God. And what does He say? We'll see his face. We'll see his face in the city. We'll, we'll, we'll have that vision of God. His, his, his name will be on our foreheads. We'll belong, we'll belong to him. You know, the greatest thing in life is love, right? And this will be the consummation of our love, seeing God's face, enjoying God, delighting in God, loving God, finding our pleasure in him. There'll be no need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. He'll be our light and our joy, his radiant presence. I, I, I'm sure you feel that now, right? There's a radiant and joyous presence that comes from God and that's going to be consummated. You know, the, the, he, uses, he uses the language of the temple and the tabernacle, right? And, but he tells us there's no temple there. There's no literal temple. There's no literal tabernacle because, because God's the temple and the land, right? It's God's presence. The, the tabernacle and temple always pointed to what? God, to God himself. You know, we read a little bit from Ezekiel today. Ezekiel 40 through 48 has these, if you've ever read it, has a long description of the temple. But we, what we know from these chapters in Revelation, there isn't going to be any literal temple built. Ezekiel's pointing us to what God himself, God's presence with us, the one who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So our, our greatest joy, our greatest pleasure will be his smile, his love, his presence with us. We also see in chapter 21, verse 16, the dimensions and nature of the city. We read in verse 16, the city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, its width, and its height are equal. Now, that reminds us of 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20, because there we read about the Holy of Holies. You know what that is, the most holy place, the place where God dwells. That's the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. It's 30 feet long, 
30 feet wide and 30 feet high. Now, that's a perfect cube, right? That's, 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 that's a perfect square. But that's what's also said about this city. So the whole city, you see what John is saying? The whole city is like the most holy place in the tabernacle and the temple. The whole city is where God dwells. And what's the whole city? It's the whole creation. It's the whole world. The whole world is God's temple now. Not just a little place in the tabernacle and temple, but the entire world is God's dwelling place. This, this city is arrayed with God's glory. And it's, and it's like it's like all these precious jewels we read about, right? In verses uh, 18 through 21, the city is indescribably beautiful. And we'll be beautiful too, right? This isn't just about the city, it's about us. What's true of the city is true of us as well. We will be beautified. You know, we need to know, as we live this life, we need to know that something beautiful awaits us. We, it, it's, like, it's like an upcoming wedding. So I, I had the privilege, with all four of our kids, I had the privilege of, uh, of marrying them to their spouses for the happiest days in my life. And it's still true. Praise God, right? They've been, uh, first ones got married in 2008. It's, it's, like, it's like the birth or adoption of a child. So we have, we have 11 grandchildren, 12th on the way. You, you know, you, you look forward to that. What, what joyful events. It's, it's, like the, it's like the homecoming of a child. It's, it's like a stunning vacation, unrivaled in its beauty. And why does John tell us all this? Because he's saying, hang on. Keep trusting Jesus. Endure to the end. Don't, don't compromise with the world. You know, when we, when, when we give up on something when we get discouraged, we can fall into sin, right? So when you get discouraged about your diet, you think, it's not working, you might splurge, right? Oh, it doesn't work. What does it matter? Or, or, or it can be something even more significant. You get discouraged about your life and you say, well, I, I might as well look at pornography. What does it matter, right? So when we get discouraged, we can fall into sin. What is John reminding us? Don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. It pays to follow the Lord. It pays to keep trusting the Lord. Something beautiful is coming. He's promised. You say, I don't feel like it's coming. It doesn't depend on your feelings. It depends on God's promises. Finally, that, this city, God's there, right? This city is safe and secure. Let's look at this a little bit. The city had a massive and high wall, chapter 21 and verse 12. High walls don't work today, Right? They did, they did in John's day. What, what would they do today? They just bomb the smithereens from the air, right? But in the ancient world, what did the high walls signify? Security and safety. Most cities don't have 12 gates. By the way, I think that's a symbolic number, the number 12. That's very important in Revelation, right? But, but this city has 12 gates, and there's 12 angels at the gate. No one's getting in. No enemy's getting in the gate, right? You're not getting past those angels. Verse 15 of chapter 21, the angel had a golden rod to measure the city. Measuring, you know, you might not know this, but measuring means what's measured is protected, right? It's enclosed. Again, protection, safety. Chapter 21, verse 16, 
The city is 12,000 stadia. Remember I said the number 12 is symbolic? 12 times 1,000? Clearly a symbolic number. Why? The city is 15, that's 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. I think that's clearly symbolism, right? The, the wall of the city is 144 cubits. That's 12 times 12. Again, I'm arguing that's symbolic. It's safe. And he says, that's the measurement, that's the measurement angels use. Well, that's nice to know, right? But what is he telling us? Oh, yeah, I get that because I was talking to an angel the other day and I know how they measure, right? No, that, his, his point is, it's symbolism. It's symbolism. I'm speaking symbolically. This is the perfectly secure City, chapter 21, verse 25. Did you notice this? The gates, the gates of the city will never close by day. And by the way, there's no night there. <laughs> hey, I have, I have a question. What use is it to have gates if you never close them? Right? But it's so safe. So there's gates and a high wall, but, but it's so safe. It's so secure. You don't have to shut the gates. This is, this is apocalyptic language, isn't it? Everything we fear. Do you fear anything today? Can you think of anything right now you're fearing? Everything you dread? Everything that hangs over you like a Damocles sword? It's over, right? No more, no more death. No more disease. No, no, no more loneliness. No more, no more feelings of uselessness. No, no more worry about being forgotten because, because you will experience what chapter 22, verse 1, the river of the water of life is flowing. And, and, and we, I'd I'm so glad we read that passage from Ezekiel because isn't that remarkable how it starts out just a, a trickle from the temple and then it goes to the ankles and then it goes to the knees and then it goes to the waist and then they can't swim in it? What, what, what is John telling you? Rivers don't do that. Not without a tributary, right? You don't start with a trickle and end up with a rushing stream. But he's, it's, it's a picture, right? It's a picture from God's temple. The whole world is his temple. Is every refreshment you need. God will supply all your need. The river is refreshing. And as we close, we say, that river is God himself, isn't it? It's his refreshing presence, that, that river that refreshes us, it's when we see his face, it's, it's the loveliness and beauty of God himself because what makes the new city so wonderful is our God and, and the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for your word. We thank you that it speaks to our fears and our joys. And we're reminded, Lord, that you are a faithful God and that there is a great reward coming. There is a great day coming. We're reminded, Lord, that this life does not last forever. And you have promised us joys, joys that are inexpressible and full of glory. And that joy is finally in you, our great God, and in the Lamb. 
and in the spirit of our God. We give thanks and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.